Welcome, friends, to another unbelievable episode of Repeater. We're here. Believe it. Not only are we here, but we're also joined by the wonderful Maris Kreisman, who talks about the song Joey by Concrete Blonde. And because this is a live show, we have a musical guest. Queens-based band Parrot Dream joins us to cover Joey and play some originals. To be honest, this episode is a blast, especially if you like sad fucking songs. Or books. We, We also talk about books because, well... Maris knows a lot about books. It's a beautiful discussion about art. Deal with it, people. And thank you for listening. This is Repeater. Welcome. Hi, thank you. It is so nice to have you. It's such an honor to be here. Yes. Um, welcome to the stage. Thank we're, you. We're going to get started by uh, talking about something that we've been listening to recently. Okay. So yeah. Pat will start us off. Okay. You have time. I'll think about I it. I always know I'm going to start and I always panic because mm-hmm. I, I listen to a lot of things. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I'll start off with something good because I guess that's the theme of the show. Good. Um, good. New and good is the new Warriors album. Uh, Warriors are just got signed to side one dummy, um, which plug, we interviewed somebody from side one a couple months ago and it was great. Yes. Um, but the new Warriors album is wonderful. Uh, I just got it in the mail on vinyl on a neon green and red vinyl. Uh, so if you want me to buy your music, put it on colored vinyl and I will do it. That is a threat and a promise. Uh, But if you're not familiar with them, uh, there's a song on the new album called Future Me that I think is a really good way to get into them. Uh, They describe themselves as melodic punk. And it's great. It's fun. And it's happy. And I like it. Hmm. And it's good. It's good. Do you listen to Warriors, Maris? I I do. In fact, my husband got an advanced copy as well. And um, so that's a brag right there. (laughs) And um, I'm loving it. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. I actually have been trying to like listen to it on Apple Music. And for whatever reason, because I recently updated a bunch of settings, I think it like won't it just like won't download it. And I don't know why. And then it also won't stream it. And I also don't know why. And I haven't put the time in. Got it on vinyl. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That is a true thing I can say as a roommate of Pat's that if it is on cool vinyl, he will buy it. Mm -hmm. That is a true marketing ploy that works on him. It's it's sad. (laughs) Uh, I know something that's sadder. I (laughs) never thought I would say this, but what I've been listening to lately is a lot of the Eagles. (laughs) I have been listening to the Eagles a lot lately, and I can't say I'm happy about it. Sometimes I do a deep dive in a ba- on a band, and I realize like all these great <laughs> things about them, or like gems that I never knew about. Mm-mm. And like, yeah, my opinion just isn't any different <laughs> as, as it was when I started. Uh, and I did watch their whole three-hour documentary, "The History of the Eagles," available on Netflix in two parts, and it doesn't that. That, I guess, kind of made me like the people in the band a little bit more. Like, they were humans now. Um, Not eagles? No. (laughs) 
but I don't know that I like their music any more than I did when I started this journey. Uh, so yeah. I'm just happy you're able to watch and listen to as much Eagles as you want mm-hmm. and not the new Warriors album. It's really taken over <laughs> in a way that's unhealthy. Uh, I do think I do think there's a couple songs that maybe I like more than I did when I started, but such as I kind of like "Take It Easy" more than I used to, <laughs> which I believe was their first big hit. And there's a, another song called like "Easy Easy Peace of Mind" or "Simple Simple Easy." <laughs> it's like "Simple Easy Peaceful" or something. But it was a song that I think All I these didn't challenging songs. Yeah, like, I don't think I knew the title to it even. <laughs> and when I played it, I thought, "Oh yeah, I do recognize that song." I never knew it was. I don't think I knew it was an Eagles song. They have an incredible number of hits that sometimes it is hard to remember that they wrote all of those songs and recorded all of those songs, especially just between their first three albums. Cause they put a greatest hits out in like 1975. That was just from their first three albums. And that is the number one selling album of all time. And then they they released total California. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I used to think lion eyes was about a guy with eyes of a lion. And I was terrified of it. (laughs) (laughs) That is a much scarier song than what it is. I, my only Eagle story is I was at a bar in Philadelphia once and this older man, uh, mid sixties, I'll say was a dad, a dad was going after some ladies at this bar, um, bragging that he knew the Eagles. Um, and considering how much I know about, any other sport that's not hockey. Um, I took that to mean he knew the band, the Eagles <laughs> and not members of the football team. Um, so I started talking to him about Led Zeppelin. Yeah. He's going to miss. I made friends that night. Oh, I also learned in my investigation that the band Eagles of death metal is in fact named after the Eagles, which is nuts. But I did what? Oh yeah, I know it is a duh. It is a duh. But in my mind too, I'm like, there's a, there's an imagery of Eagles and like violent, cool metal things that I, that like fit together for me. And I never realized until I thought about who are the Eagles of all these different genres is like how I was thinking about it. I was like, Oh, I bet Eagles of death metal is the Eagles of death metal. And that is in fact their name or how they got it. Anyways, enough about the Eagles. Um, I'm listening to the new Torres album. And I became a fan of hers in, I I just looked this up, 2012, when she released a self-recorded album, um, No Label, and um, a friend of mine discovered it and wrote a glowing review of it on Pitchfork. We went to see her at the cake shop, and she fucking destroyed it. Nice. And um, she now she has a, a big deal label and she's blown up. That's, That's awesome. Great. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Um, I don't think I know her at all. Um, Am I in the dark? What kind of music yes. is it? Yes. Indie rock, but like angry music, which you might or might not already know about me is, is a thing that I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> Angry solo woman music. And um, she started out, she was 23, I believe, because there's a song lyric about it. (laughs) And um, 
one of the things that attracted me to her and to a variety of songs is that she seemed to have already lived full life mm. and had yeah. a lot to, to talk about. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it blows me away sometimes when artists have what I consider like a lifetime of experience and they're yeah. young as hell. Yep. It's crazy. Uh, well, that's a good jumping off point though. So what song did you want to talk about today? I would like to talk about Joey by Concrete Blonde. Cool. Uh, Pat, why do you think Maris chose this song? Uh, I think you chose this song because you were going on a deep dive on the Cranberries Wikipedia page and Concrete Blonde were listed as a musical influence. Okay. All right. You don't have to tell us when we're wrong. We will, we will be wrong. <laughs> um, I was shaking my head for the, for the yeah. listeners. Uh, this is also definitely going to be wrong. I want it to be a video that they were watching on Beavis and Butthead. And that somehow you were watching Beavis and Butthead and that was how you found Joey. That's what I want. I have not researched whether this song appeared on Beavis and Butthead. It's not out of the question. It could happen, I suppose. I feel like Daria would like this song a lot. I was gonna, well, my original guess was Daria, but the timeline was too far off that I adjusted to the original, uh, you know, original cartoon. But let's listen to a clip of the song right now so we can hear it. I know you've heard it all before, Pat, but... What's that? I love you. Oh, thank you. No problem. I love that this reminds me of the cranberries. <laughs> yeah. You know, I said I love you, and you said that you like the cranberries. Yep. You didn't, even, you didn't even say you like them. You just said that it reminds you of them. Yeah, it's true. Well, I see that we are on slightly different pages with what this song makes us feel, Pat. Oh, it makes me feel sad. About me? About Joey. God damn it. Well, Pat, if you're hurting, so am I. It makes a very clear this came from an album called Bloodletting. I just realized that the way we have the stage set up is like the setup in the music video. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, that song kicks ass. Um, yeah, it does. Why did you choose it? Um, I chose it because it's been my favorite song throughout many phases of my life. Um, I kind of had heard of it when it came out, but it didn't make that big of an impression on me Mm -hmm. because I was very busy listening to just like pop radio when I was a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And one of my first memories of writing was um, listening to the Miami Sound Machine on the radio and writing down the lyrics to Uh The Words Get in the Way. Mm. And I think I was like six and um, it's about this relationship that's going nowhere and it's, it's so complicated and so hard and she knows she has to break up with him. And I was like, yes, I understand. (laughs) This is how I feel too. And about um, what a toy. um, (laughs) Just, I think it was a feeling that I wanted to have more than anything else. It was aspirational sadness. <laughs> it's an, well, in my like experience, that's an adult feeling, you know, and you want, if you like want to be an adult, you want to be sad kind of. Ab- absolutely. So, you know, then when I was, when I was nine, I brought my boombox to school. Cool. And said to this guy, listen to the song I'm about to play. And I played Debbie Gibson's Foolish Beat. Mm. Um, which is a tearjerker. And it turns out I looked up the dates 
and Say Anything came out in 1989, mm -hmm. and this was in 1988. So I invented the Lloyd Doppler. This is what I think. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. Bow down. <laughs> but um, so, so I loved all of these very sad, melodramatic breakup songs forever. Um, but the night I remember falling in love with Joey in particular is I was at my first college party um, when I was still in high school. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really intimidated because it was very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. It was just like party at Rutgers circa 1995. Ooh. And um, there was jungle juice. I remember that. Ooh. A couple people have bongs. <laughs> I didn't really know where to put myself. Um, and then I walked downstairs and this is how I remember it anyway. It might be totally wrong, but like I picture this girl, probably I should say woman because she was like probably 18, um, <laughs> sitting on the ground just in the midst of this crazy party. And she had her acoustic guitar and she was playing a version of Joey wow. that just stopped me dead in my tracks. And this girl, woman, 18 year old, seemed to have lived an entire life. Mm -hmm. um, she had like a crazy smoker's voice <laughs> by 18. And like, she just looked so weary and like tired. And I loved it. I was so into it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's incredible. That is I'm, straight out of a movie. I mean, I love that. <laughs> and and so I've kind of loved that song since then. I sort of knew at the party that I was never going to meet a person there that would make me feel those emotions. So the song would have to do. Wow. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm thinking <laughs> back to like every college party I went to where somebody had an acoustic guitar. And I feel like they only played Oasis. Oh, that's so. much better. See, I'm a little older. I just had Dave Matthews everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a bummer. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, just lame, bad stuff. I I mean, it feels like a dream scenario to have somebody playing a song like Joey. It, it just, it's like it, the antithesis of my experience of a person with an acoustic guitar at a party is <laughs> like very lame. Yeah. And this is very cool. And I was, I was glad it was a chick. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I'm, yeah, I'm sure there would have been Dave Matthews otherwise or sublime. There yeah. might've been Ooh. sublime. Been a lot of bad fish going on Yeah, <laughs> down there. Um, that is so that's cool. And so you, were you, were you writing a lot around this time as well? I wasn't writing that much, but what I discovered shortly after that time was karaoke. Ooh. Ooh. And <laughs> when I went away to college, I, I got a karaoke set that I was able to like, it had two tape decks, in fact. Nice. And it was portable. And so I would, I brought it out. It was my birthday. It was my, I think it was my 21st birthday. And I brought the karaoke set out onto our porch and started seeing Joey to passersby. <laughs> <laughs> What a beautiful song to just be <laughs> belting into the streets, passerby in daylight. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so karaoke was a this like thing you found that um, 
you latched onto as a very fun activity? I did. I did. And, and singing cool. sad songs at karaoke is particularly fun. Uh, Joey is very hard to sing, in fact, because the, the part of the song that you didn't hear was the verses are very low. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jeanette Napolitano has this beautiful alto voice and um, it can be, I can do it, but it's very quiet. And sometimes when you're in a loud room and someone else just did Kesha, you know, <laughs> the room is not ready for just like a slow, sad start. But yeah. um, were you the karaoke friend? Yeah. I still am. <laughs> I, I've only ever known a karaoke friend in adulthood, like with karaoke bars and stuff, but never someone who personally <laughs> brought karaoke to the party, which is another level. Yeah, I think so. We had somebody in my hometown that had their own karaoke machine that they would bring to bars and like on like a weeknight and like, I think they asked, I don't know, or they just set up and, but it was internet connected. Whoa. So it had so like get anything. anything. It was sing? the only time I did karaoke at that bar. We sang, uh, we sang creeds. Can you take me higher? <laughs> um, because we thought that would show that doing karaoke at this small quiet bar was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, and what it did do was convince everybody that they needed more karaoke at this bar. So you killed it. Yeah, that bar is not open anymore. <laughs> oh, I meant, <laughs> I meant you did an incredible rendition of Hire by Creed. Yes, exactly. Okay. Got and it. now that bar is not open so anymore. So good that the bar had to close. <laughs> well, we can't beat that. I guess we might as well close up the shop. Um, yeah. What about, so what is it about these sad songs that I guess has made them stay present in your life? Well, so... I did get to a point in my life when when the sad song started applying a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you'll never guess the name of uh, the man who, uh, you know, brought all of these emotions to, to the forefront. Joey. Okay. So <laughs> what I learned was that the real life part of it absolutely no fun. I was like crying in Dwayne Reed's. I like all of my dignity was gone. Like I, I had always pictured like a montage where I'm like eating from a tub of ice cream and feeling really sad and watching like chick flicks, but like it was just whiskey and sadness and like loneliness. Um, and it was only after I really cut him out of my life that I started loving the song again. And um, I think it's that the aspirational sadness is great when you're pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And, and otherwise it can kind of like ruin your life. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. I, I similarly, actually, there was this song, the, there was this band Girls that was around for a little oh, while. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a song called Lauren Marie. And I was dating Lauren Marie. Oh, God. Actually, I was in love with Lauren Marie and not dating her yet. And eventually eventually convinced her to date me, which tells you how well it went. And uh, and like that was just a relationship fraught with, you know, not. It was a very real roller coaster of a relationship. And I think when the actual breakup happened, I felt similarly. That's like that song it felt like it applied so hard to my life. And it was like, I could have written this. 
And then the breakup happened. I was like, I don't want to listen to this fucking song anymore. Yeah. It's too close. But I recently rediscovered Girls because I think I like uh, loaded a bunch of old music onto my computer. And I was like, oh, I love this song. Uh, I love this band, you know, and it was just a funny, yeah, rediscovery of the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized that there was just a time when I had to like put all my sad music to the side and now I have old Apple playlists that just say indulgence. <laughs> and I can pull them out now and just enjoy them and not feel like somebody should be checking on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and so now I'm happily married and um, I have performed Joey for my husband many times <laughs> in a very happy manner, you know, as, as much as, you know, the song could be happy. Right. Um, but it still delights me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something with like sad music that, you know, obviously when you're in something, you're like, oh my God, this sucks. This is the worst. And I never want to hear this song again. Um, but I wonder if like when you put time, you know, add time to the mix and you can go back and go, yeah, that was really sad, but it was really sad. And now I'm happy. I think that, I don't know. I think that's what I get out of sad music sometimes. We're just like, oh yeah, no stuff can get dragged down low. (laughs) Um, and it's not like that right now. So I'm going to happily enjoy this really sad song. Absolutely. And I recently in doing research for this show, in fact, I read that Jeanette had to record that song last for the Concrete Blonde album because it was too emotional for her. Yeah. And I, I was like, yes. Can I actually yeah. read an excerpt from an interview that I wrote down? Please. Ooh. So this is, she was being interviewed for a music magazine about Joey. And it's exactly what you said. It was the last thing recorded. And she's referring to Chris, who was, I believe, their producer or engineer for that album. So she says, and I remember Chris every day. Do we have vocals to Joey yet? Do we have words to Joey yet? And I'm like, not yet. So I literally wrote them in a cab. I knew what I was going to say. It was just a matter of like a cloud forming. And then it rains. The lines are forming in my head and they're all in my head. And I know the chorus and I know what I'm going to say. It's just a matter of fine tuning the details and how I'm going to lug it out. And then it rains. The clouds all formed and it rained. And then it happened. And that was it. And it was just there. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> it, it really struck me. Like I was, I was similarly just trying to like look up information about this song and it's, that's a very like on the process of whether it's writing or creating art mm-hmm. of any kind, um, or maybe even just processing something, uh, the process of processing, you know, yes. uh, is, is a lot of, buildup or a lot of knowing that like kind of acknowledging what you're doing and what you're going through, but not actually outputting anything just yet. Absolutely. And, you know, I I heard her do a cover of this song and she changed one word and it changed the entire meaning. (laughs) And it was so upsetting because she sang the, the lyric goes, if you're somewhere out there, passed out on the floor. And this time she sang, and if you're somewhere out there, passed out on her floor. And I was like, oh, shit, oh, Joey, man. what did you do? Yeah. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> oh, man. That is a big difference in context of and, that song. And so I wonder if, like, you know, 
if she wrote the original lyrics and like had to wait for a few years to let it die down a little bit mm-hmm. so she could do an acoustic cover and just yeah. uh, maybe it was it about it was about a guy in a different band I think from like the LA scene that she had been in that she dated who was an alcoholic I think right that was part of the story yeah. if you're yeah. drunk and passed out on the floors the other part of right that. right right um yeah man like just uh tough because obviously you can, the thing I I love, even just about like the chorus of the song is she's so done with this guy, but she wants him to be okay. You know, like, I don't give, like, I'm fucking done with, like, get out of my life, but don't die. You know, like that kind of thing. And it's, uh, yeah, really, it's hard to have, that's a real complicated relationship and they'd really nail it. In a very like yep. concise way. If you're hurting, so am I. Right. <laughs> yeah. Man. Man. <laughs> ah, empathy. <laughs> Why do we have it? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that a thing we have to deal with? Do you think if we played this song for Trump, he'd feel something? No. 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 I don't. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think he'd. <laughs> I want to feel hope, but it's not in that. No. <laughs> he is a guy who I assume can't, like, doesn't listen to music. Just the way he doesn't read books. Right. Yeah. Just the way he only watches the news, his news. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, are you ever suspicious of people that don't engage with art? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can expand on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was a simple question, but there's a lot to dig into. Well, I, this is this is a, a random offshoot, but today in the New York Times, Dan Brown was profiled. Hmm. And Dan Brown, author of The Da Vinci Code, all of your dad's favorites. <laughs> the Eagles. The Eagles. He's the Eagles of commercial thrillers. Yeah. <laughs> that should be his new... His new title. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and he said that he does not read fiction, but if he did read fiction, he'd read fiction like the kind he wrote. What a, and I was like, what a fucking what asshole. A dick move God. that is. Yeah. Oh, I hate that so much. And I can name literally one million authors who are better than he is. So. Yeah. That's, that definitely seems just like, don't challenge my way of thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah, they, I think that is that's that's the the main part, right? Like someone who doesn't want their mind to expand or to be challenged ever or to learn about new things. It's also very disrespectful to other writers or people yeah. that, people that do what he does because he. I think he's kind of saying that he's like, well, I figured it out. Like I have my yeah. I have my method and my formula of how to write a novel, and that's how to do it. I don't care for like these these other attempts at it, you know. Um, and then a friend sent me a picture, a photo of his library. Oh boy. And his library is literally filled with books and it looks beautiful, but all of the books are by him and they're translated (laughs) into a variety of different languages and he has different versions of them, but they're all by him. My God. Oh, his poor publisher. And I believe that Trump probably has the same kind of library, except not Dan Brown. It's all Trump. Yeah, I think it's just his one book. Oh, he's done a one? bunch of books. Oh, God damn it. So <laughs> I was hoping. Praise the ghostwriters who got some money, I hope. Yeah. yeah. They probably didn't realize what they were contributing to. No, at the time. probably not at the time. No. 
That's a damn shame. Oh, that's so upsetting. <laughs> uh, but you read a ton of books. I right? sure do. Um, and I do think that I look for some of the same themes that I look for in music in books. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite author of all time is Lori Moore. And she has a way of making funny and sad mixed together in a weird, profound way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does a lot of stuff with wordplay, which I mm. never thought was going to be romantic. You know, <laughs> speaking of dads and like dad jokes and stuff, but she she can make a pun feel so important. Mm. That's great. Yeah, that is a very hard skill, I would think. Yes. But that's cool. What uh, what's like a recent title of hers that, or like something you love by her? My favorite by her is a novel called Anagrams. Um, she's probably best known for a couple of short story collections. One's called Self Help, and one's called Birds of America. And she most recently had another story collection, I think a couple of years ago, called Bark. Mm. All highly recommended. Thanks. So you uh, you work at Book of the Month. I do. Club, club is that in the title there? Yes. Cool. <laughs> Just checking. Um, so what's the like? What's the the goal? Is to put something in front of people that are just kind of like asking for a book to read, right? And what what, what goes into that? Yeah, I, I think that today you can be overwhelmed by choices, mm-hmm. and that um, there are so many people who don't live close to an indie bookstore or somewhere mm-hmm. where, where there's going to be a clerk that can absolutely help you find what you're looking for. So book of the month kind of narrows it down for you. And we try to have a diverse array of authors and different kinds of genres and different kinds of writing um, uh, with the hope that our members will read a book a month. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think it's really important to like, I mean, to go off Dan Brown, just like, not sort of stay in the one lane of the one genre or whatever. Cause I think especially for books, it's easy to just continuously go and go, all right, well, I know I like this type of book or absolutely. And I think something that, you know, I hope uh, starts to expand a little bit. Like there's a Kickstarter right now called books without borders. Mm-hmm. Um, that's trying to get more people like, you know, non-American writers, non-white writers. Yes. Um, you know, get those books into people's hands. And I guess I'm wondering, like, when you're seeking out these new books, like, how are you, how are you finding them? Who are you looking through? Or um, I'm looking through a lot. I, I like, call a list down every month from, like, almost 100 titles to, to get down to five. Um, I'm looking for something that's a little challenging every now and then. Um... We, we, we had, we unveiled our new books today. Ooh, oh, cool. So, um, Manhattan beach by Jennifer Egan is in there. Um, you know, her from a visit from the goon squad, which is about the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a much more straightforward novel, but it's so beautifully done that it's, it's absolutely worth a read. Um, and then, yeah, we, we have a thriller every month. We're not yeah. going to deny that. <laughs> yeah. Our, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it's not James Patterson. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like, you know, a step above. 
Yeah. I was going to say the Eagles of something, but I'm not trying to. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been too hard. Um, yeah. It, it sounds, so I like that idea that you're sort of trying to not, not, uh, not replace, but supplement that, that like small bookstore feel of someone giving you a personal recommendation when that's not available to people. Absolutely. And so we have judges who write endorsements for all of these books. And so they tend to be a little more personal than an average book review because we ask these book critics and authors and otherwise to, to really tell us how they felt when they read the book and, and why. Yeah. I, um, and speaking of trying out something new, uh, there's an experience that sticks out very distinctly in my head, which was, I was in San Francisco, I don't know, six or six years ago, maybe this was something like that, five or six. And at this little, little-ish bookstore and they have all the cards, right? With employee recommendations yep. written out. Great. And I am not a huge reader, uh, admittedly. And I've definitely never read a lot of short stories, never read a lot of science fiction ever. And I'm looking at a card and I'm reading it and I'm, I kind of pull the book off the shelf. And this was Ted Chang's yes. Story of Your Life and Others. And as Sorry. I'm like, yeah, no, but that is my reaction now, having read it. And and you saw Arrival? I haven't, actually. Oh, my goodness. It's so I, good. I want to, but that story is the best story in a way that I truly felt like I understood the world better and differently after reading a short story. But I was reading the card of the suggestion, and I think I had the book in my hand, and some employee, who I think wasn't even the person who wrote it, like across the room said, just buy it. <laughs> and I did. And it was it's like, so great. maybe the best, best book recommendation I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And I was and so psyched that I knew nothing about it. Truly. That is amazing. And, and I loved that book. Just, I, just for, yeah. for the audience, you know, that was the short story was what the movie arrival was based on. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a really beautiful job of fleshing that story mm-hmm. out and making it even more, universal and broad mm. and um, emotional. Yeah. His, and, and his way of writing, I found to be so, it, it felt like I just, and, and again, I don't read a lot, so it's hard for me to recognize when something's much better than something else. Uh, to me, it's a lot of like, oh, this is good. You know, I don't really know. And it just seemed like he was pulling off his feet of, putting something extremely fantastic into an incredibly relatable and incredibly real world scenario. And he just does it time and time again. I think the first story in that book stands out a lot to me as well, which is a retelling of the tower of Babel. Right. And which like is so it it hits that so strongly because it's like a story I kind of already know and it is biblical and all this stuff. And it's still, he makes it relatable. In a way that I found, I was like, that's nuts. <laughs> well, that's why there are studies that say that people who read fiction are more empathetic. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, you can Google that later. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, and that's, that, that does feel counterintuitive to me. Because I would think if I read a lot of nonfiction right. and I understand things right. concretely better, then I'm going to maybe like be able to empathize because I've learned it. And there's something about... Yeah. Uh, in, the way my brain works is something about reading novels where I'm not learning anything. I'm just enjoying myself, right? But obviously That's how they the, get you. The folly, <laughs> the folly in that logic is easily sure. seen. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's the interesting thing about how like 
people's creative output connects to people. Like there's so many, like there's a ton of songs that just, I have no real world connection to that situation Mm -hmm. or like to this song where like, I have no understanding of what that kind of interpersonal relationship is and what that kind of pain feels like. And it's great that like, you can also get that out of something that's three and a half minutes long. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I wonder like, it's fun or not, not wonder, but it's, it is fun to think about the things that are furthest away from our experiences that we find relatable. Yes. Because those are the things that I feel like are tying us all, you know, and a, uh, not to guys, not to get too college party, (laughs) (laughs) but it does like, that's the stuff that like does feel like, Oh, there are connections between, uh, all of us and we are similar beings with similar thoughts and, and art has a way of doing it in a way that, uh, you know, hanging out at a bar just doesn't always do. Yeah. And I feel like a catchy hook is, is sort of like what fiction is. Like it's just a way of reeling you into someone else's point of view. That's really enjoyable, even if it's not your own. Yeah. Yeah. It gets you singing along before you realize what the (laughs) hell you're singing about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and you have no idea, like, if it's relatable to you, but you also don't even analyze necessarily what this person who wrote it is going through or anything like that. Mm-mm. But I guess you hope it sinks in or you hope that some fraction of the people that are singing along uh, look into it, you know, or attempt to to figure out what is there. Yeah. Um, you know, a song that was stuck in my head earlier was um, Kesha's Gold Trans Am. Um, Relatable. Which is... You know, um, I wish I like, again, (laughs) aspirational. I wish I related to those lyrics, but then you look, you look at her life at the time Mm -hmm. that she was, she released this song and it was probably really, really shitty. And so I, I kind of love the idea that she was making this fluffy art, um, and killing at it. Mm -hmm even when she was going through maybe one of the toughest times of her life. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is also like a testament to, you know, skill or talent or artistry mm-hmm. to be able to, to do that at, at a time like that. It's a, yeah, it's incredible. I, um, I think I've probably mentioned this months and months ago, but I found uh, Rihanna's last album to be incredibly like, <laughs> it's not relatable, I guess. <laughs> but to resonate in a way with yeah. me that I don't think I ever could have guessed. Also because not, oh, first of all, because of who she is and like the space she occupies within pop music. I just don't assume that any of that's going to really resonate with me. Um, but then on top of it, like the actual thing she's singing about, just that's not my life. I'm not Rihanna. <laughs> You're <laughs> as not? Mu- as much as I want to be. <laughs> um, is there a song in particular or was it? The, I'm trying like, to think of the cool? actual um, song title. But it's um. You can sing a little. Bit. There's a part of it that goes, "Man, fuck your pride. Go and take it on back now. Take it on back now. Take it back all night." And I'm trying to think of what song that. Thank you. This is great. Ooh, what you want to do? Make it last song. I'm. I feel like I'm getting to the name of the song, but I don't know that I'll actually get to it. <laughs> but it is this song that is clearly from a. 
it's like a point of view that I would probably never actually, not never, but I don't think I've been on the side of. But I feel like very, listen to that viscerally, like this could be sung to me by maybe many people in my life. Like, <laughs> like the idea of like, fuck your pride, get over yourself. Um, you need to actually deal with me is a very like almost scary, like, whoa. Uh, yeah, I need to like do that sometimes probably, you know? Yeah. But it would never be Rihanna singing it to me, I don't think. <laughs> As much as maybe I kind of want it to be, but I don't <laughs> so think it'll We're talking about aspirations. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but also a lot of the Eagles catalog, you know, also, <laughs> <laughs> also would never happen to me. Yeah. Some stuff really pisses me off about a band like them. Where, <laughs> but something like uh, Take It Easy, right, is there was an era of, I feel like, rock and roll where you were just about to, you're allowed to sing about, uh, you're allowed to sing about stuff you didn't have experience with because it was all like in the canon of America or rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's that line of uh, standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. I got uh, such a fine place to be. There's a, it's like, it's, it's something about a flatbed truck pulling up, but it's like, it's just pure fiction. Like the they've guys have never that, been to Arizona. Maybe they've been to Arizona, but it was just <laughs> this little town at the time. It was like this little town on route 66. And I don't think that, that line was written by Jackson Brown, who's not a member of the Eagles. He, he was one of the people who wrote that song. But it's one of those things that just like, it just all works because, I mean, the reason it also feels contrived is he wrote that part and then the next couple lines are written by uh, Glenn Fry of the Eagles. But he's, it's that thing of like, oh, you're writing this song? Not, not my experience, but here, I know like a good lyric or a catchy way to finish <laughs> yeah. this, this, par- this paragraph or this, uh, what would it be called? Verse? <laughs> and um, and it is. It's kind of like bullshitty and contrived. But I guess when you're good at it, you're good at it. You know. Yeah. yeah you don't have to write what you know if you're a good writer. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if art is lying to you if it makes you feel something. Yeah. I just want it to be honest. <laughs> I want them to treat me right and tell me the truth. You know. Well, but maybe you can find that, that in Rihanna and not the Eagles. <laughs> Honestly, like I am. Yeah, good. Good. That's what I'm learning. Um, cool. Well, Marissa, th- thank you so much for talking to us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thank everyone give so it much. up, please. <laughs> Okie doke. Now, if you want to hear Paradream's cover of Joey, head on over to repeater.show where you can stream it. You have done it. You either went to repeater.show to stream it or you ignored us and kept listening. Either way, great job. Now, back to Paradream for some original music. So we're going to play a couple songs of our own. The next song is called Jungle. It's a song that we wrote, I think, maybe two, two years ago. So it's been around for a while.
Thank you. You can stay up to date with Maris by following her on Twitter at Maris Kreisman. And for the love of God, join Book of the Month Club. Parrot Dream is based in New York City, but you can find their music at parrotdreamband.com and on Bandcamp, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Oh boy, that was a satisfying episode. I was going to say it makes me want to go out and read, but I guess it really makes me want to stay in and read. You know, you can read anywhere, Evan. That's the beauty of a book. They're portable. It's like a Walkman, but for reading. Ah, yes. Books. The original Walkman. Well, that's it. Rate and review us on iTunes. And until next time, hit repeat. Evan, put your Jack Kerouac shirt on. Repeater is hosted by Evan Forbarden and Patrick Cartelli at QED in Astoria, Queens, a place to show and tell. Find out more at QEDAstoria.com. Our show is supported in part by Hi-Fi Records and Cafe in Astoria. Visit them from wherever you are at HiFi-Records.com. Editing by Stephen Garvey. Theme music by The Sun Lions. Everything else by Love Nest Productions. Welcome to Repeater. Repeater.